Okay, so did I put out a new book during a pandemic, political unrest, and an urgent conversation about race? Yes, I did. Was that a good idea? Probably not. Can I do anything about that now? No, I can't. Am I asking myself questions out loud and then answering them? Yes, I am. Is that weird? Uh, yes, it's weird. Would it be weirder if the voices were different? (laughs) Yeah, that would take it to a whole new level. That was fun. But what's not fun is in the midst of the death of George Floyd, the batshit, dangerous rule of Donald Trump, and people getting sick by the thousands every day uh, to go, hey, you want to read my book? That's not fun. But that's where I'm at. That's what I'm doing. I'm doing it just here on the podcast, not on social media. Uh, And I'm doing this here because you guys come to the show every week, and you've been listening to me for the last few months talking about this exciting news, how thrilled I am to put out this book, uh, and now it's out. It's a YA novel called Mal Rowe and the Midnight Organ Fight. It's a story about two teenage detectives trying to solve a series of murders one summer in San Francisco. Uh, It's out there now uh, in the world, and the world is an utter mess. But if reading shelters you from that mess for just a little while, then read my book. Hit up your indie bookseller. Let them take care of it for you. I know you want to hit the Amazon Prime button and have my book delivered in 14 minutes along with a new cartridge for your printer and a soda stream. But go the indie route if you can. We need bookstores, and bookstores need us. So let's support each other, okay? I'm Alex Green. And this is Stereo Embers, the podcast. Check this out. Flip switch, you got the killer itch written on your bedroom walls. Break back, it's like a heart attack. You're feeling that forever fall. Look at you now, look at you now. is the music of my guest today on the program, David Cook. Let me tell you a little bit about David Cook. John Steinbeck once wrote, There are as many worlds as there are kinds of days. And as an opal changes its colors and its fire to match the nature of a day, so do I. Well, all those changes of colors, that's a pretty good way to describe what's been going on with David Cook lately. The Texas-born, Missouri-raised Cook's new song that you just heard is called Red's Turn Blue, and it's a track that assigns manic highs to the color red and the painful lows to the color blue. The song traces not only the way our moods shift from color to color, but more specifically, how when we have anxiety, that shift has its own punishing velocity. 
It's the first new blast of music Cook has put out in a while, since 2018's Chromance EP. But don't think he's not been busy. The Season 7 winner of American Idol spent the better part of 2018 performing in Kinky Boots on Broadway and headlining an acoustic tour. The 37-year-old musician sees his new song as a kind of artistic breakthrough, and I'll let him tell you all about that and a bunch of other stuff. But first, let me say this. Cook's voice? Well, that's one of the most powerful instruments on the planet. But Cook as an artist? That's what's most interesting here. He's evolving in unexpected and exciting ways, and frankly, he's never sounded better. He's a cool guy, too. Enjoy this conversation with me and David Cook, right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast. positive things about all this like having more time to get into like the creative process and you know we've got like a home project list about eight years long that we're finally able to kind of start attacking so like we've been going through like the Marie Kondo purge here at the house for Uh, a little while so how are you at getting rid of things I thought I'd be pretty good at it I'm actually pretty bad at it like are you I, I um I, I think I think I have a tendency to attach um, uh, like memories to objects, and then I don't want to get rid of those objects, regardless of how like you know insignificant they are. Yeah. Uh, so uh, yeah, like I caught myself the other day, like like having to like really like struggling to like get rid of like baseball cards of like players that like the, the cards aren't worth anything anyway, <laughs> but it's like, you yeah. know, Oh, I got this card when I was 13 living in blue Springs, Missouri or whatever. And it's just like, uh, that's not a memory that doesn't matter. Just let it go. So, uh, it's, it's, I, I, my wife's doing way better with it. I have to say. Yeah. It's funny because you can see how that can become, uh, a dangerous path to go down. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's funny because we've also been watching, we've been binge watching hoarders. Well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right? So just like, yeah. Oh, like I do have a few of those tendencies. So uh, yeah, it's been, uh, it's been, it's been funny more than anything, but you know. Yeah. It's funny until you're like, I need to keep that tissue from uh, 1994. Right, yeah. No, I'm not there. I'm not there. <laughs> knock on wood. Yeah. So no, it's more just like, just little trinket things that like take up space and collect dust. And, you know, it's like, I don't do anything with them and somebody else is going to find something better for them. I'm sure. So. Yeah. I always think to myself, it's really good for me to put this into circulation. Um, right. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. I like I'm, I'm going to get this out there and let somebody else reckon with it. Um, yeah, you know, cause it's clearly not doing anything here. And also here's the other thing that I've found. I found that there's nothing I've ever gotten rid of that I've regretted or missed. I, there's been one thing for me and it was an old guitar amp. That's the only thing that I regret <laughs> ever giving up. So. But that maybe, sounds like maybe was, that was, maybe that was just traumatic enough to where now I don't want to get rid of anything. Right. Exactly. And the thing is, once it's gone though, David, it's gone. There's nothing you oh, can yeah. do. Oh yeah. And the funny thing is like, I, I, so I, I, it was an old, like 
Fender amp, like half stack that I got like long before idle. And I just, at the time I was like, oh, this isn't the sound I want. And so I traded it in. It was this beautiful Fender tube amp and a killer cabinet. And I traded it in for a crate half stack, like solid state, like active rock sound, you know? And I have spent easily the last decade trying to find this amp and I can't find it anywhere. No luck. No luck. Yeah. I like, it's just, I, it's, I, apparently it was a very rare amp that I had that I can't find anywhere. So. Uh, yeah. If anyone's listening, uh, just let us know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even, The thing is I can't even fully, it's, I can't even remember the, the name of it fully. It's like, it might be a pro reverb. It might be a dual reverb. No idea. Yeah, it's one of those things you hear stories about musicians who will say like, I sold this guitar in 1974 and then 40 years later, it somehow found its way back to me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's interesting to me. I'm a writer and, um, you know, the whole quarantine thing has sort of made me feel a kind of pressure that I didn't think I would feel where I'm sort of like, I better produce something during this time because I'm here. Yeah. Um, you know, are you, how are you feeling in terms of, of, we talk about the creative process, how, you know, you can really focus on this, but do you also feel like you better come out of this with like a, a satchel of songs? <laughs> uh, yes. Um, I, I fight that a lot. Um, feeling like I'm not being more productive or more, um, uh, you know, being more illustrious in my output, I guess. But, um, there was a quote, um, I'm going to attribute it to Dan Wilson, but I don't remember if he said it or not entirely. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say he said it because a lot of the time I pull quotes about songwriting, it's from him. Um, <laughs> but it was, uh, it was just about, you know, th- there's, no, there's no rules to this. Don't, don't try to force, you know, you don't have to be creative every day. Um, you don't have to write a song every day. And uh, I, I've, I've tried to adhere to that. Like when the inspiration hits, like, okay, focus in, you know, attack that, that idea and, and see it through. Um, but yeah, there are days when I'm just like, damn, I really, I really should be writing a song right now, even though I don't, I don't have any ideas on hand. So um, that's been a, that's been a, a, an interesting challenge. Yeah. And then there's that sort of thing where, you kind of don't want to write the quarantine song. You know what yeah. I mean? Like yeah. about being in quarantine. Cause it feels yeah. now it feels like almost like a cliche. Yeah. It, it's, um, it, it's, it's a little too, uh, little too on the nose. Yeah. yeah. It's like, here's David Cook's new single, my prison. <laughs> <laughs> and my prison is like your prison. We're all in the same prison. Hold on. Let me write this down. <laughs> you know, I've always felt very resistant to, um, like writers' workshops or retreats, because I feel like if I do that, then I'll have to produce something in that period of time. And I don't want to put that kind of um, pressure on myself. I want it to just sort of come when it comes. Um, do you, in terms of creative space, do you find that sometimes it just beams in and hits you at the weirdest times, and those are the best times? Um, I'm I'm definitely an ebb and flow songwriter. Um, I'll go through periods where, you know, I'm feeling really inspired and creative and I'm I'll usually knock out you know a couple songs a week in that mode um 
and then I'll go through dry spells uh, where I just, you know, and I don't know if it's maybe I'm just not tuned into that wavelength, but um, nothing grabs me, you know, and I think coming off of Idol, um, there was this pressure uh, to, to, uh, it was self-imposed for sure. Nobody was outwardly pressuring me to do this, but I just felt like, okay, I gotta, I gotta constantly be creative. I gotta constantly have my finger on the pulse of this, that, or the other. And it really wasn't until, um, probably 2015 when I really started to kind of like chill out with that a little bit and and feel like, okay, it's okay to like take your time. Cause ultimately like these are the songs that like, you know, you know, my future kids might listen to or my grandkids or whatever. And I want to feel proud of those songs X amount of years from now. Um, and so to take the time to like, feel like I'm getting that right. Uh, that's, that's certainly been more the focus for me in the last five years. Yeah. And to anyone listening, it's like, Oh, that's cool. But that actually is almost 10 years, right. Where you had to really sort of come to terms with that. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, the industry, seems to move um, on a moment to moment pace yeah. um, where it's okay. Here's a song. All right. That's cool. What next? You know, right. Um, <laughs> the cycle has shortened immensely. Um, and to some extent, I, I think it's my personality to just kind of piss in the wind a little bit. Um, so it's, it's, yeah, I, I, I've kind of just like dug my toes in on taking my time. Yeah. I, I interviewed uh, Robert Forrester of the Go-Betweens, this Australian band. I'm not sure if you know those guys. Um, yeah, and worth checking out. But the, he, was, he was sort of um, his songwriting partner, this guy, Grant McLennan, who now is no longer alive. Um, they're an Australian band. And uh, they were sort of the Lennon and McCartney of like indie rock, this like okay. really polished, beautiful band. And he was talking about the idea that Grant McLennan was really prolific. Robert Forster is really slow. And so he would feel like Grant McLennan would come with these like, with like 30 great songs and Forrester was like, I got one. Um, <laughs> I wonder for you, do you feel pressure also from the external world where you look at bands that you really like and you go, God, those guys have put out three albums in the last four years. Like I got to pick it up. Do you, or do you not think about your peers in that way? Um, I don't think of my peers in that way. I, I think just in the context of everybody's creative process is different. Yeah. Um, you know, the way I write a song is not really the way anybody else writes a song and vice versa. And, and so, um, yeah, I, I've never really, I've never really compared that way. I, I think if anything, um, you know, I, I, I approach it like a fan, you know, like some of my favorite bands, um, uh, you know, nothing but thieves just put out another or getting ready to put out another record. And then it was like a year and a half ago, maybe they put out. Yeah. And, um, yeah. I mean, I, you know, as a fan, like, great, the more the merrier. I love listening to it. So, um, but yeah, I've never really, uh, I've never really kind of tuned into that wavelength. I don't think. When you, and this is something interesting to me is that I have found like when I was in college, um, I was writing like a maniac. I mean, I was, I was just pages and pages. None of it was good, but I was just doing a lot of work. Um, did you find that your most prolific period was when you were younger, like in college and like, a, and still trying to, like, you know what I mean? That there's something about those early years. I think that you just start striking matches one after the other. I feel like, 
the narratives that I pulled from were certainly different. Uh, and that's just, that's just life experience and what's around you. Um, and to be honest, I'm, I'm fine with that. I think if I were living the same life that I was living in my early twenties, then there's something wrong. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think, um, that's kind of the fun of being a musician really in writing songs is like you, you're continuously adding new tools to the toolkit. Um, and, and lyrically, you know, you're, you're lyrically to me, it's just about finding different ways to talk about these universal themes that everybody can kind of tune into, you know, uh, love loss, um, you know, us against the world, uh, you know, those dynamics, like everybody kind of feels some of that stuff every now and again. So it's, it's, it's something everybody can tune into. And if you can figure out a different way, you know, a different path to get to that finish line, um, that's kind of the fun of it for me. It's like a mountain that you never really get to the top of. Yeah. Which is also sort of the reason why it's like a trick you can't master. Right. Cause you're always, you know, if you write a song where you go, I just crushed it and I'm really happy. You wake up the next morning and you go, now I got to do it again. Yeah. Yeah. No, really <laughs> seriously. Yeah. And, and that's, um, that's the, that's the double edged sword of it really, you know, and, and, and you really have to, you really have to love that continuous challenge to thrive in this, you know? And, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't really ever, no, I take that back. I do, I do recall a time when I didn't enjoy it. Um, but that was for reasons outside of writing music. So where it became corrosive for one reason or another. Yeah. Just, um, I, I think um, going through this process now for the last 10 years, I figured out what's worked for me and what, what hasn't worked for me. And, and, um, and, and so really, um, you know, the last few years, especially has what it's been for me is just, all right, like how do I set up this process in a way that works best for me? And that's not just songwriting, but that's also like any other creative endeavor. It's how, you know, how am I putting this music out? Um, what am I doing as far as getting on the road? What am I doing as far as promotion? Like all those things. Uh, it's about finding a, a life work balance that works, you know, for me and, and my family. So um, that's been, these last few years have been, I, I've had more fun doing this than I, 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 than any other time I can recall. And that, in, that includes idol. Do you, are you swinging a lot freer creatively? Is that what you mean? Yeah, for sure. I, I yeah. you know, um, I, I've talked about this a lot, just the idea of like learning how to take, like open up your peripherals has, has been huge for me creatively. I think coming off of idol, I had this really myopic viewpoint on where I sat and what I do. And this is what I got to do. And this is what I got to be. Um, I think as I've allowed that definition to expand, I've, I've enjoyed the process more and that, and that, um, and that's just across the creative spectrum, like getting to do some acting and stuff and, um, and, and getting back to like writing for myself, like, you know, writing songs that like no way is anybody else ever going to hear them. Um, that's been fun because it, it allows me to try out new sounds, try out new lyrical content and yeah. 
and get a more fully formed idea of who I am and what I'm talking about. Yeah. And I think that as a writer, you become, as you keep going, you get closer and closer to that truth, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, and also for you, because you know, you're, you perform under your name and not in a band. Right. So there's also, I think people forget sometimes that David Cook as a, on stage is a persona as well as, right. Like in other words, it's a projection or an amplification of a part of you, but off stage, you know, you might be someone who is a lot different than what people would see on stage. I, uh, it's actually, this, this, this topic is actually a great lead into my current single, but, uh, you saw where I was going, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. No, I feel it. I feel it. Um, (laughs) no, I've, I've kind of, I, I probably learned this during the tour for the second record, the second RCA record. Um, I really enjoy being famous between stage left and stage right. And that's really about it. Like I, 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 I like, I like the idea of being able to turn it off sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I agree with the word amplification being on stage is an amplification of myself. Like I'm not that way off stage. Um, but, um, but man, it's a process to get there. It's a process to learn that about yourself. Um, cause you spend so long trying to make it. And I spent 10 years before idol playing in bands and playing to empty rooms and, you know, just like, Oh God, if I could just do this or if I could just do that. And then I finally got an opportunity to do that. And I was like, Oh, okay. Like I can't do this all the time. Right. Um, and, uh, I, I, so yeah, to, to kind of get into the new single a little bit, uh, you know, I was diagnosed about 10 years ago with an anxiety disorder. Um, something that I think if people see me on stage, wouldn't necessarily know about me or seem obvious about me. Um, and, uh, yeah, reds turn blue. This new single was really just a, a therapeutic exercise. It was one of those songs that nobody else will ever hear. And I got done with it and um, felt like I had accomplished something for myself. Mm-hmm. And then I started playing it for a couple friends and family and stuff and got this really strong response and still struggled with the idea of putting it out there. And um, finally made that decision with, with me and my producer. And once that decision was made, it kind of all happened pretty quick. And, and I felt like it was such a, a fun kind of freeing process. Um, and I didn't really think about it in the context of releasing it until we were like two days before the song came out. Oh really? And, all of a sudden, and then all of a sudden this anxiety set in like, here's a, I'm having all this anxiety about a song I'm about to release about my anxiety. Like the irony is profound. Uh, but it's been, uh, the response has been killer. Honestly, I've been so humbled and proud of the response and, and, and people, you know, kind of, finding something for themselves. And I've had a lot of people tell me like, Oh, I have an anxiety disorder too. And it's just like this weird untalked about thing like mental health. And um, so if my, if my little song gets to be a drop in that bucket, I'm, I'm good with it. It made me think about synthesia where how, um, you know, a lot of people will, some people who have synthesia will assign colors, you know, like for example, a feeling will be a color, right? So like our taste becomes sight and sound becomes, taste and and all the the senses are sort of reassigned but but also they are augmented um so you feel them more intensely and that your the song makes me think in terms of that too 
Awesome. Yeah, no, and, and honestly, like I, I don't, uh, in the moment, I don't, I don't necessarily project color onto feelings, but then, uh, usually when I'm, I'm trying to convey how I'm feeling or an idea to somebody else, I will attribute colors to them. Um, red to me always seems a little manic and happy. You know, it's love. It's, uh, it's, positive things. And then, you know, obviously the blues blue and, um, and so, yeah, it was just kind of a, it, it was kind of a remedial way for me to, um, uh, de- define kind of what I'm talking about without being so heavy handed. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, uh, it's so weird now. Like this song is out and, um, I didn't expect such a unanimously positive response, which has been nice. Also, it's very a very vulnerable entry into your into your oeuvre. I mean, that is that is a pretty vulnerable song. Yeah, and uh, that that's that's where the anxiety for it comes. Yeah, from. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, you know, I I think. Um, Listen, you know, you go, you go through life wired a certain way. You're raised a certain way to view the world uh, through this lens. And then idol happens. And then all of a sudden it's like, you got to rewire on the fly. And, and so you, I, I think my instinct was to become very protective and very mm-hmm. insular. Um, and so this is just kind of a, an opportunity for me to like, okay, this is like one layer of the onion gone now you know um and yeah i don't know we'll see i i i I enjoyed this process enough to warrant maybe tackling it again i i you know whether we get there or not we'll see but you mean the subject matter or uh not necessarily the subject matter i think just that 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 attempt to put something about myself out there so nakedly i think um it's uh I, I'm I'm proud of this song for that reason, and if I can chase that feeling a little more and, and feel comfortable enough to warrant putting it out there, then great. Never really said too much. Afraid it wouldn't be enough. Just try to keep my spirits up when there's no point in grieving. Doesn't matter.
get home When I can feel it night A naked light A fire to keep me warm Try to leave a light on found out about your anxiety did that surprise you i don't think so okay uh i i I think it was more just like a confirmation of that what i was feeling wasn't um just run of the mill you know because i i'd had a i'd had a series of just awful awful anxiety attacks like blood pressure spiking and uh you know, feeling like, feeling like I'm going to die, you know, just like, and, 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 you know, obviously not in any present danger, but just feeling like super like, all right, like the walls are caving in here on me a little bit and, um, and not having a definition for it, not having like, Oh, that's what this is. So then to finally get that diagnosis, it was just like, okay, like now I know what this is. Now I can attack it, you know? Um, and try to figure it out. Um, and really, you know, th- this, where this song kind of fell in the process for me was, was trying to personify my anxiety as the other, as something else. So that that way, like I, I watched this interview with Bill Hader uh, at the 92nd street Y a few years ago. And he talked about his anxiety disorder and how he navigated it while on SNL. And he talked about how, you know, when, when, when anxiety would come up, he's like, I got to, I got to the point where like, I could acknowledge it and say, Hey, you know, like an old friend, like, Hey, you're here. I got to go do this thing. Just hang out. Um, and that's really kind of what this song did for me a little bit was, was help me personify it as something other than myself to where I could acknowledge it and not feel like I had to live in it. Um, and so, yeah, that's been, I, I guess that's a breakthrough. I don't know. That that is a breakthrough. It's been helpful, it's been helpful though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that I would. I think that counts as a breakthrough. Um, and in terms of, and, it, and it's good for people who are listening to hear you talk about this because it's very common. Um, but also the moment where you said, "I'm going to look into this." Was that a tough moment for you to to do that? Uh, look, I mean, anytime you you have to self assess like that, it's a little uncomfortable. Yeah, um, but I've learned over the last 10 years that it's kind of a necessary part of the gig. Um, I don't want to be static as a human being. I don't want to be stagnant. Um, I want to grow and I want to change and I want to, you know, adapt to the world around me as best I can. Um, cause the world's not going to adapt to me. Um, right. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, I, and, and so I've, I've learned to appreciate the process. I think, I don't necessarily like doing it, but I, I've, I've right. appreciate it and, and respect its importance to my mental health. There's a great poem by this poet named Jack Gilbert, who he talks about th- this guy, he writes a poem about a guy who tried to commit suicide. Mm-hmm. 
And then the police come in and they've taken the body to the hospital, the whole deal. And Gilbert is sort of saying, he's looking at the scene uh, and he says, the world must have been so frightening before there were names for things. And with you talking about this, it makes me think now that you can name it and recognize it and assign it and say, here's this uninvited guest that shows up. Um, did, does that help you in terms of when, when you do feel anxiety, does it help you cope with it a little easier? Yeah, I think so. You know, it's, um, it's having an appropriate level of fear and respect for something that is known versus having the, uh, an, uh, an inappropriate amount of fear and respect for the unknown. Um, and that's, that was where I was at before I got the diagnosis was like, I, you don't know what it is. So you have to fear everything that it might be. Uh, and, and so to be able to narrow it down, uh, was huge. Yeah. Because I didn't like, is it anxiety? Is it depression? Is it, um, you know, is it paranoia? Like, what is it? Like, what, like, how is this manifesting itself? What is this so that I can come up with a game plan? Um, that was a, that was, that was a big step. Did you reverse engineer and go, Oh yeah, that time in sixth grade, I actually felt this way. How far back did you even decide to to look? Um, in therapy and stuff, I delved into the past and certain things and, and try to figure out how they, how that, attributed or didn't attribute to what I was dealing with currently. Um, but I didn't get into the weeds that much, at least not consciously. The, I teach college for a living and I always find that my students who come to college at 35 mm-hmm. are better than the students who come at 18. Uh, I shouldn't have gone to college at 18. I think I was too young to really appreciate, you know, anyway. But I was thinking about you on Idol, and I was thinking you had ten years of life in the music and you know in the music industry as as a musician. Sure. Um, had you not had those ten years, and you let's just say you were twenty years old at the time, um, do you think that that would have been a much tougher experience for you? Yes, and it yeah. would have been a shorter experience, <laughs> no doubt. No, I I, I mean, listen, I. I I don't know if I, I probably learned this through playing sports growing up, like uh, you assess your opponent and, and adjust your game plan accordingly. And so like I go in there, you know, thinking like, Oh, I'm a good singer. And then watching everybody around me like, Oh God, I'm not even close to the best singer here. Okay. So what am I going to do? You know, cause I got to figure something out. Like what's my game plan. And so I started thinking like, okay, like, I think Michael Johns and Carly uh, might have been in bands before. I know Michael was. Maybe Carly wasn't. I can't remember. Um, so I was like, okay, like I feel like if I can lean on my experience in bands and my experience as as the, as the musician that I know myself to be at this point, like, okay, what 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 can I do to make this work? And then you start thinking like, all right, Idol at the time, like pretty notorious for like theme weeks and stuff like that. So I was like, okay, like can I mess with these songs? Can I make them my own at all? Can I find alternate versions of these songs and stuff that, you know, almost like bend these songs to my will a little bit. So yeah. that it's not so like, um, you know, if I'd sang the Mariah Carey version of always be my baby as originally recorded, that would have been a very weird visual disconnect <laughs> for sure. 
Yeah. So it was just, yeah, it was okay. okay. So I was like, if I can do that and then they're allowing us to play instruments so I can showcase another aspect of my musicianship, like, and we're kind of off and running. Um, I think without that experience and without those pieces kind of falling in place as far as how the show was operating at that point, um, you know, I'm probably looking at a two week LA vacation and back to Oklahoma. Yeah, it's interesting how I, you know, in many ways you're a grizzled veteran because um, a lot of those, a lot of those. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> the beard helps too. The beard helps. Yeah. Um, are are you um, in terms of when you write something? Do, who is the person that you show it to first? Like, who is your editorial board in your in your life? Uh, it usually goes in this order. Uh, my wife, uh, she's obviously in the closest vicinity. Uh, yeah. and I do, I do trust her opinion. Like I, I, she'll, she'll code it a little bit and be nice, but I can tell when she doesn't like a song and I can tell when she does. Um, and then I'll also share it with, um, uh, with my buddy, Andy Skib. Andy and I have known each other for maybe 15 years now. Since college? Uh, right after. No, I met him during college. Yeah. We were in different bands. Uh, he was in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I was in the Kansas City area. And then I moved to Oklahoma after college and joined his band. Um, but uh, yeah, so he's the guy that actually engineers and or produces pretty much all the stuff I've put out lately. Um, so I'll send it to him and um, kind of gauge his reaction. Those two are usually the first. And then it might go out to like bandmates and stuff like that and get their opinion. So, um, But again, that's all about just kind of finding the formula that works for me. And I finding people whose opinions I trust and whose tastes I, t- I trust. Um, yeah. yeah. What happens when you write a song and you feel pretty good about it and maybe Andy or your wife are kind of like mm, getting there. Uh, right. Or you go, wait, what? In other words, how do you bridge the disconnect between your own feeling and the external feeling of people you trust? I, I, I'm, I'm in a constant state of work on handling that situation. Uh, only because like if I, I it, it's happened a few times where I get really, really excited about a song and, um, and the moment I think it's cause the song's great and I'll play it for them and they, they don't get it or they're not vibing on it or whatever. And I, I, I feel a pretty large amount of disappointment. What I've learned recently is that I have to step back and look at it a little more objectively and figure out, okay, why, why am I invested in this song so much? And usually it's because like the lyrical content is something that really hits home for me. Or um, I feel like I've stumbled upon something as, uh, you, you know, musically that, that excites me. That doesn't sound like other stuff I've done before. Um, and then it's just, okay, like, let me take that idea or, and, and see if I can do something else with it. Um, I, but yeah, the, the, the disappointment is pretty palpable when that's. Yeah, I bet when you're writing a song and you, I mean, before you bring it to them, it must go through a lot of iterations. Um, less so now, actually, I've learned to kind of trust my gut a little bit. Um, I usually like when I think of a song, I usually think of it fully formed in my head. Wow. Uh, just in the context of like, all right, I want it to sound this way. I'm, I'm hearing this instrumentation. I'm hearing that instrumentation. And then I'll kind of like, uh, you know, gaff tape it together at my home studio and come up with like a, a passable demo. Um, just enough to kind of like 
where I feel like, okay, this is the crux of it. This is enough to wet somebody's beak. Um, and then I, you know, and then I'll go in with Andy and we'll adjust and fine tune. And, 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 and admittedly, a lot of times Andy comes to, comes to the table with things that like, I wouldn't even think of. So like, you know, Red's Turn Blue was um, the beginning as it, as you hear it is very different from the demo. The demo was just like a da 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 just a guitar kind of living, a guitar and bass kind of syncing up through the verse. Um, and he came to the table with that real ambient, like that dun 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 Yeah. A very different um, landscape sonically. And um, those are the kind of things that, that really happen uh, with Andy where like, we'll find sounds that just like, Oh, that's what, okay. This makes this different and unique and, and me. And, um, that's the stuff that I, I love that more than anything. Oh, it's fun stuff. So he, he can really flesh something out. Yeah. He's, he's great. He's great at figuring out what I'm trying to say. <laughs> or what I'm, you know, like yeah. I have limitations as a, as an engineer. Like there's just things that I don't know how to do. And um, yeah, Andy's great at helping me bridge that gap. And, um, yeah. He's your official translator. Truly. Yeah, truly. I, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking. Um, I'm speaking English. He makes it English. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. For for musicians that listen to the show who are starting out, I know they're always really curious. In terms of your daily practice, we talked about writing. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you for you, you write, you sing, you play guitar. Like you have a lot of of places to go creatively. Mm-hmm. Um, do you do something every day, or are there days where you don't you don't throw any pitches at all? Um, the days where I don't throw any pitches are pretty rare. I at some point, I'll noodle if nothing else. Um, my, my wife just got a ukulele and I've been noodling on that. I, I, I think I've already played it today. Uh, but it's just, yeah, I, I haven't pulled anything from that yet. It's not like I've gone, Oh, that's a great idea. Um, and I'm not really super crazy about the idea of playing a ukulele on stage for some reason. (laughs) I don't know. It's just the visual of me with a super tiny guitar. I don't, I don't, I don't know. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I noodle it at least once a day and sometimes stuff comes out of it. And most of the time it's just, you know, I'll, I might get on the piano and play like right here waiting for you by Richard Marks. Or something. <laughs> but you'll do something every day. Something. Happened. Yeah. 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 I, 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 especially now, um, I think it's just, it's a little bit of sanity that's like, all right, I'm going to try to be creative for five minutes, just so, like unconsciously, just sit down and do whatever. Um, yeah, that's but that's about the only thing keeping me from pulling my hair out at this point. Well, a lot of musicians that I interview say that they find a real benefit to musical cross-training, learning a new instrument. Um, like you're talking about the ukulele. Um, I was talking to Elon Rubin, the drummer, and he was telling me he was, he was working on the clarinet. <laughs> it's like... Wow. That's kind of cool. Um, yeah. Is there a part of you that's that's adventurous to the point where I'm going to pick up something totally new and like the ukulele, which was a pure, I guess that was kind of an accident that you decided to even pick it up. You weren't planning yeah, on it, yeah. right? Yeah, no, it, it's, um, 
Yeah, it's fun every now and again. I think it keeps the it keeps the brain sharp. You know, I've 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 read all these these uh, these little blurbs about how you know how your imagination has a tendency to wane as you get into adulthood, and that's because your brain is taken up with this idea of like, all right, I've got to structure my life. I've got to get it together. Right. I've got to do this, that, and the other. And as a kid, you have obviously less responsibilities and more time to be creative. And so, um, yeah, anything you can do as an adult to kind of scratch that creative itch, I think just keeps, I I don't know this to be a fact, but I feel like it just, it allows that part of your brain to work, you know, get, get a little exercise. Um, so yeah, I, I, you know, guitar, piano, bass, drums, ukulele. I started on, before I played guitar, I played violin. Oh, wow. I don't think I could still do that now. I don't think. Um, but yeah, I, I just, I, that stuff's fun. I think, just, yeah, I, yeah it's, as a creative pursuit, it's fun. Yeah. Is there, is there an instrument that you've always been kind of curious about that you've wanted to sort of pick up just in terms of like, that seems interesting. Um, I, I don't know if it's a new, I don't I can't think of any new instruments. I've wanted to get more, um, adept at drums and, um, piano. Like I have a very remedial grasp on both of those things. Um, but I mean, listen, growing up, I wanted to be a drummer and I always, I would always ask for drums for Christmas. And then one Christmas I got a guitar. <laughs> I think, I think it was, I think my parents were just like, okay, like how, how do we rein in some of the noise that right. we're going to encounter? Um, so yeah, I, I'm, I'm thankful for that, but I, I, I still like, I, if I could be, if I could get a gig playing drums and be adept at that, I'd be pretty happy too. <laughs> how did the um, the Kinky Boots experience for you? How did that inform you creatively? Um, totally, again, new muscle, right? Yeah. I mean, using some of the same skills, obviously, but still a totally different thing where you're not holding a guitar, um, and it's performative in a totally different way in a totally different crowd. Um, how was that? I think it helped me get out of my shell a little bit in a weird way. Um, I had gotten pretty comfortable with the idea of like having that guitar between me and the audience, that little buffer. Um, and I, so I think that was, that was an important lesson to learn, like an important muscle to work out a little bit that I hadn't used in a while. And, um, it also kind of helped me as far as lyrics go, just the idea of tuning back into like narratives. Um, I, you know, cause I do have a tendency to write pretty ambiguously and pretty open for interpretation. And um, yeah, I, I liked that cause it kind of, it reined me back in a little bit um, to, to, you know, songwriters are storytellers. That's part of the gig. So that's right. Um yeah, to get back into that was an important lesson. I think, and just past that, it was it was such a shot in the arm to to be a part of a a community and not be not be David Cook. Like you were talking about, like it's my name earlier. It's not a band, and um, I grew up in bands, and so I, I did miss that dynamic. I think more than I realized, and so to get back into, um, 
you know, a, a format where it's a community telling a story. That was fun. It was just fun. And to feel like, like if I fall, there's somebody there to pick me up. Right. So like if I fall on stage doing a David Cook show, it's just on YouTube. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Right. And it, and also it's it's like it's fun to be a solo guy. It's fun to be, say, Usain Bolt, but it's much more fun or a different kind of fun to be part of a squad, you know, like to be Clayton Kershaw. You know, you get to be, you, get, you have the Dodgers with you. Um, and so here you are in Kinky Boots and you're really part of a team. Mm-hmm. I remember the first time I messed up a line on stage and just feeling like, oh my God, the world's falling apart all of a sudden. And then, you know, one of the other actors comes in and picks it up and we get back on track and it's like, man, that's awesome. I miss that, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, um, it's a different kind of fun, but it's an important kind of fun for me anyway. Uh, just, just to, I feel like I get to put on a different hat for a minute. If if the guitar is your buffer or your shield on stage, mm-hmm. in Kinky Boots, aren't your fellow castmates, they then take on that. They're your buffer. They're your shield. I hadn't thought about that, but yeah, probably. That's a that's a good observation. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. That's really cool. Um, and in terms of um, how hard are you on yourself in – when you're writing something, when you're not writing something, is the voice in your head of the David Cook persona, which the amplification we talked about earlier, um, where that has to, that has to be a garden which is continuously watered. Um, are are you pretty hard on on yourself in that way, or are you learning to sort of just let go and just like we were saying earlier, swing a little freer? I'm pretty hard on myself. I'd say my expectations for myself are higher than anybody else's, comfortably. Yeah. Um, but that just goes back to what we were talking about before. Like, you know, these are songs that um, are going to help, you know, my, my family, both present and future. It's going to add to the definition of who I am. So by my account, they better be good uh, and they better be accurate. Um, and so yeah, I, I think there is a high expectation for me uh, to to put out stuff that I'm proud of, and know that you know I I have I have gotten into the idea of like I don't really care if anybody else likes these songs anymore. I used to really really care. I, I've just gotten to the point now where it's man, if I'm not excited about it, then I can't expect anybody else to be. But if I'm excited about it and nobody else is, does that diminish my excitement? Should it diminish my excitement for that mm. song? I don't, I don't necessarily think so. Right. Yeah. Right. And it seems to me like at this point in your career, you've become really in touch with vulnerability and being making peace with showing that vulnerability, which allows you really to grow as an artist. Trying to. Yeah. I, it, yeah. It's, um, I, again, it's a, it's another mountain that I'm never really going to get to the top of, but it's uh I've gotten more comfortable with welcoming that challenge for sure. Yeah. It's a much more intimate side of you. Thank you. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Hey, I love the new song. I'm a huge fan and I I really appreciate you sitting down and just chatting with me. Of course. This was fun. I I like, I like conversations like this and you didn't ask me once about idol, which is. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I want to know what's happening with you right now, man. I like it. I like it. No, it's um, listen, man. It's uh it's all good things. I'm so excited for this song. I'm excited for it to have its moment in the sun. Um, 
and I'm excited for what's next. Like I've yeah. got some songs in the can that I'm pretty jazzed about. And as soon as I can get out of this house to go record them, I'm going to go do it. Will you uh, come back on the show and chat with me again? Done and done. Let's do it. Nice guy, that David Cook. Uh, new song is great. New direction is exciting. And I'm happy for him. DavidCookOfficial.com gets you all the David Cook news you will need. Uh, everything you need to know about him can be found there. If you want to order my book, Mal Rowe and the Midnight Organ Fight, <laughs> see, I'm still talking about it, uh, but only here, not on social media, just here between us on the podcast. Uh, you can do so. AlexGreenOnline.com uh, is the place to go to find out what's happening with that book and then go to your indie bookseller and uh, have them scare up a copy for you. It won't be hard. Sure, they don't have drones, but they'll get it to you fast anyway. Maybe not in four hours, but two days? Can you handle that? I think you can. Stereo Embers, the podcast, is available on all podcast platforms. Go to the one that you use, subscribe, leave a rating, tell all your friends. We would appreciate it. You can follow me on Twitter at Embers Editor, or follow me on Instagram at Embers Podcast, or just email me, editor at StereoEmbersMagazine.com. Let's take a full listen to the new David Cook single, This Is Red's Turn Blue. Enjoy it, and thank you as always for listening to Stereo Embers, the podcast, only right here on Bombshell Radio. Flip switch, you got the killer itch written on your bedroom walls. 